All right, uh, continuing with uh, continuing with plan D or E or F. Um, timeline, Dusty took off a semester during seminary because he was in love with Sherry, who had become a part of this church after moving to the area, and that's some of their backstory about how a long, long time ago uh, they got married here, and we've been able to stay connected with them for all of this time, which is cool. Numa, uh, as um, Walter mentioned, is the Greek word for wind, breath, or spirit, either one, all of them. And it was a windy day and uh, yesterday, so that's some of the noise. Maybe it was spirit as well as wind as well. Uh, Sherry asked me to uh, clarify when she said in the uh, video that they were just outside at the seminary, just outside of Lebanon. She meant just outside of Beirut. You probably understood that, but she asked that we convey that. We're continuing this morning with our series on love. There it is, love. And the purposes of this series we're going to talk about this morning, the purposes are to help us see the ubiquity of love in the scriptures, to understand what biblical love is, to live in and under the grace of God's love, to embrace God's call, and I like to think of it more as an invitation to love, and specifically to be empowered and encouraged to live out the first of our stated values, which is Following the Lord Jesus, we strive to love all people unconditionally. Say that with me real quick, just that last part. Love all people unconditionally. Indeed, to love all people unconditionally. And toward that end, uh, last Sunday morning uh, on Pentecost Sunday, the feast day of Pentecost, Jomo Thompson preached about the power to love and the power, that power coming from the Holy Spirit, an outpouring of which Jesus' disciples received on the first Pentecost after Jesus' resurrection. And beginning in chapters 14, 15, 16, 17 of John's gospel, Jomo went through uh, some of the gospel uh, background and then into Acts and spent a lot of time in the book of Acts, helping us to see the ways in which the Holy Spirit empowers and gives tools and guidance to his people, uh, tools and power to love. And if you were not here with us last Sunday, or if you uh, were with us online, or if you, even if you were with us, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to Jomo's message again, which I've done. It's really rich and even a second time brings out uh, lots of good things. So YouTube, uh, our website, uh, your favorite podcast, Spotify, iTunes, uh, Google Podcast, check it out, uh, partly so that we can all stay on the same page through this series, and partly because I think Jomo really nailed some things really well. And partly because I think uh, what Jomo said was really important. I want to continue this morning with the core of what he talked about, uh, particularly about the Holy Spirit, and then continue with what he spoke about, continue where he left off, take uh, the next step along this road. Jomo walked us through, again, some passages in the Gospels and then uh, some passages in Acts. If you know the Scriptures, you know that Acts immediately follows uh, the Gospels in the way that the Scriptures are packaged or the Bible is put together, the different books of the Bible. That's, often, that's also how things throw, flow chronologically. This morning, we're going to take the next step going into the letters of the Apostle Paul, which happen later not only in the way the Bible is packaged and put together, but also chronologically getting into uh, the next generation and the next generation of church thus having a different kind of applicability to us 
uh, 2,000 years later, but still church trying to struggle into the will of God. Uh, this morning, uh, that's our mission. That's our uh, next step. Before we read the scriptures, pray with me. God, help us to be attentive to your word, uh, to uh, set aside the things that we may worry about or the many things that come to mind, the many things that uh, may stress us out or be distractions. Give us the gift of clarity and attention. Give us eyes that are good to see, hearts that are receptive soil. I ask that you plant within us through your word and from your word things that will bring you glory and bring us joy. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words stray or deviate in any way from your word, may they be quickly and forever forgotten. In the name of Jesus, amen. And now uh, to the scriptures beginning at the beginning, the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Listen closely. This is God's word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and... The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In Hebrew, it's not pneuma, it's ruach. You get this sense of hovering. From the beginning, the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit was there with God as God, fully God from the very beginning. And then the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God regularly makes these cameos, appearances throughout the Old Testament. And the Holy Spirit appears right at the beginning of each of the four Gospels. If you look at them, they all start in different ways, at different places, with different sort of agendas or purposes, but every one of them includes the Holy Spirit, each of those Gospel writers in different ways. The Holy Spirit appearing, the Holy Spirit acting, the Holy Spirit doing. And the Holy Spirit makes then that grand appearance on the feast day of Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus' resurrection. And since that time, the lively church or lively churches has paid close attention to God's Spirit and has been led by God's Spirit and empowered by God's Spirit and sometimes divided over, not by or because of, but over the Holy Spirit. The scriptures teach, and so Christians ought to be able to agree that the Holy Spirit fills people with God's presence, leads God's people into truth, convicts God's people of their own sin, not other people's sin, their own sin, directs God's people in their movements, supplies God's people with strength, helps helps God's people in their weakness, which we all have, provides God's people with wisdom, which we all need, equips God's people with gifts, sanctifies people toward holiness over the course of our lives. And and yet throughout church history, the church has often split over the Holy Spirit. Maybe the largest split in church history, sadly, happened in the year 1054 when the Eastern Church, now known as the Orthodox Church or the Orthodox Churches, the Eastern Church, And the Western Church, now known as the Catholic Church or the Roman Catholic Church, split, divided over a disagreement, a theological disagreement over the role of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's interaction with the Father and the Son. Really, it's truth. It's sad. And in other ways, both before and after the great rift of 1054, Christians have been divided not by the Holy Spirit, but by their or our understandings of the Holy Spirit. And at least least 
and in at least one local congregation in the ancient world in the Greek city of Corinth, similar divisions were already taking place. First century, second century church. Such divisions or similar divisions were already taking place related to the Holy Spirit and the gifts, charismata, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 12 of his first letter to the church in Corinth, the Apostle Paul wrote these words. And I'm going to skip, skip a few verses just to make progress through them. Now about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. There are different gifts, different kinds of gifts of the Spirit. But the same Spirit distributes them, and he's trying to bring them to a place of unity. Verse 7, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To each one of you, to one there's given the Spirit, uh, given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of that same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of those tongues or languages. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. The Christians in Corinth were arguing with each other, maybe, maybe subtly, maybe discreetly, certainly arrogantly, it seems, about which of their special giftings from the Holy Spirit were most important. And so which one of them was most important or more important than someone else or another. And so Paul goes on to write in verse 18, God has placed the parts in the body, the church, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, different parts, but one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Now you're the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it, and God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing and helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues or languages. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, now eagerly desire the greater gifts? Greater gifts. What are the greater gifts? The Corinthians were ready for this. There were many of them who wanted their own particular gifts to be named or considered the greater gifts among the most important gifts, the most important gift, making them most important, making them most esteemed, respected, honored, revered, well-regarded, appreciated, prized, cherished, just like us. And then Paul wrote, and he had the Holy Spirit-focused, spirit-obsessed Corinthians on the edge of their seats at this point. And then he wrote, and now I will show you the most excellent way. Now, get ready, buckle up. I will show you the most excellent way. Drum roll, please. If, verse 1 of the next chapter, there wasn't a chapter break originally. If I, or if any of you, speak in the tongues of men and of angels... And you have to know that speaking in tongues or unknown languages was a big deal in Corinth. 
now sometimes called prayer languages or indecipherable speech, you have to know that this was a huge deal, particularly and maybe more in the church in Corinth than any other church in the first century. Something that a number of people did and in which people took some pride about which they did it in the ways they did it. It seemed they may have even boasted, especially and regularly in the church in Corinth. If I, Paul wrote, if I or if any of you speak in the tongues of men or of angels, this heavenly language, but do not have love. I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And how often do we use that word? Sidebar, gong. Does anyone here remember the gong show from the late 1970s? A few hands pop up. It was the original America's Got Talent when you think about it, right? Just a really, really bad version of America's Got Talent. And when there was a really bad act that was lacking in some way and just wasn't any good and just drove the three judges crazy, one of them would grab this gong handle. You remember this, right? Big red gong handle and just go, bam, I bet it's this big, and bong. They're off the show. And that's what Paul's saying here. People are getting gonged. You speak in tongues, but you don't have love. Bong. You have the gift of prophecy, but you don't love. Bong. Lacking. Okay, back to verse one. That was a sidebar. Free. If I or any of you speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Hollowness. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, the Greeks love knowledge, right? The Greeks love, just, just want to accumulate more and more knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, we know people like that. Paul preached faith just like Jesus, encouraged faith. If I have a faith that can move mountains and salvation by grace through faith, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing, nada, in the big scheme of things. You can haggle about or debate or boast about whatever gifts, talents, skills, positions, roles, or whatever that you have that you've been given by God's Spirit, but if you don't have love, if that's not the primary ingredient If you've not been consumed by love, if you do not love others, if love isn't number one, then you've totally missed the boat, and actually you've missed also the spirit and love. Eugene Peterson put it this way in his paraphrase called The Message, if I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. Uh. That's what your human eloquence is like. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. If I give more to the church than anyone else, 
each year or any year, or if I have the most amazing voice on the platform in the band, or if I invite the most people to church, or if I serve on the most committees, or if I pray the most consistently, or if I know the Bible better, or memorize more Bible verses than anyone, or if I volunteer the most time in children's ministry, or if I sit on the finance team, or if I'm the treasurer, or if I'm the moderator of the deacon board, but do not love people tenderly from the heart, selflessly, generously, in the way of Jesus, it's really all for nothing. And this was a big problem in the church in Corinth. And it's been a problem or an issue for many churches since then, with and among in churches, Christians for centuries. Through layers of traditions and theology and liturgies and scholarship and building campaigns and the church growth movement and the renewal movement and the healing movement and the evangelicalism and the worship music wars and the emergent church movement and the planting of new churches and or denominational differences, and church debates, now most common about abortion and about human sexuality. If in any or all of these things one doesn't have love, you're nothing. We have nothing. We amount to nothing. Nada. A few chapters earlier in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Ah, I like the memory verses that are short. (laughs) Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Some Christian traditions make much of Pentecost Sunday, and that's fine. And some Christian traditions make much of what is called speaking in tongues, and that is fine. And some Christian traditions, churches, Christian cultures make much of various charismatic gifts, such as healing, speaking words of truth, the gifts of prophecy and interpretation and healing, the anointing of the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit. And those are all legitimate gifts and actions of God's Spirit. But greater in every way, Then every one of them, Paul the Apostle wrote, is love, and not so much the gift of love, but the demonstrating of love, the manifestation of love, the practice of love, a commitment to love, the expressing of love to other human beings. Over in his letter to the church in Galatia, in chapter 5, written at least 20, maybe 25 years after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, and the dramatic outpouring of the Holy Spirit on that Pentecost 50 days after Jesus' resurrection. The Apostle Paul encourages all this time later the church to live not by the law, but by the Spirit. Not by the law, but by the Spirit. Not according to the flesh, but he says, according to the Holy Spirit. And this is what it looks like. Paul wrote in one of those familiar memory verses. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is. The fruit or the byproduct of the Holy Spirit is a person. In other words, what is born by or comes out of or comes from a person who has God's Spirit, who is filled with God's Spirit, who is led and directed by God's Spirit, is first and foremost love. I don't know if that's the way you understood things. That's the way Paul communicates things. Paul names nine aspects of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, but scholars agree that Paul was intentional about which one he named first because it was preeminent. It was primary. 
It was most significant, most important, most fundamental. After all, Paul had just written several verses earlier in chapter 5 of Galatians. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself as love. And back in 1 Corinthians, and now these three remain. You remember these words from Paul. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Yeah, it's all over the place. The fruit of the Spirit is a lot of things. But first of all, love. Several weeks ago, as we read and talked about Jesus' words in John 13, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We can know that a person is truly a disciple, we said, or a student, or a pupil, or an apprentice, or a follower, or an adherent of Jesus by the way that they love one another, by the way that they love other people, by the way they love their brothers and sisters in Christ. This is how we know. This is how the world will know. Similarly, the primary mark or indicator or character trait identifying someone as having or possessing or being filled with the Holy Spirit is not a particular charismatic gift, and this is big, but authentic love expressed for other people. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be loud. It doesn't have to be grand. It doesn't have to be gregarious. In the words of the beloved Mother Teresa, not all of us can do great things, big things, but we can all do small things with great love. I like that. What does a person who is filled with God's Spirit look like? You may have had different ideas up to this point in your life, in your history, at different times. What does a person who is filled with and overflowing with God's Spirit primarily look like? What are they like? What sort of fruit do they bear? Knowledge, faith, speaking in tongues, giving to the poor? Important position? Maybe. Love for other people? Always. Always. And so seeking to become the most loving place in town, which is what an authentic church ought to be, let us, as Jomo said last week in his closing remarks, ask. Let us continually ask. Fill me with your spirit. Would you fill me with your spirit? Help me to be open to the filling of your spirit, God. Maybe not for all of the different gifts that Paul lists or that the Corinthians were boasting about, but that we might exhibit and embody and express and make manifest the love of God. I thought spirit-filled people were a lot of things. And now I see that the chief characteristic of someone who is filled with God's spirit is that they are this overwhelming fountain of love, which all makes sense when you bring it all together, doesn't it? where we started talking about a number of weeks about God is love. Oh yeah, it's all coming together. Jesus loved. His disciples will be known by how they love. Oh, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Carrie, are you here? Carrie, you in the house? Hey, um, Carrie's going to share a short story. Sort of, uh, again, in the uh, spirit, not spirit with a little s, spirit of going to plan D, E, F, and G. Now we're going to uh, uh, plan K this morning. And K for Carrie is going to share a couple of things about something that happened or that God did in his life. You want to come up here? Sure. Okay, great. Hey, good morning. So about two weeks ago, I just flown back from Orange County. I was on business back there and flew to the uh, San Jose airport. 
And uh, the flight was delayed, typical flights delayed, all this, blah, 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 because all the, half the flights were canceled and all that. So it's probably about 4.30, 5 o'clock. I was supposed to be there at 3. And I'm in, in the parking lot of long-term parking at San Jose Airport, tired, putting my luggage in the, in the car, um, my backpack. And this lady walks up to me in the parking lot. And respectable-looking lady, she's probably in her 50s, um, dressed well, and she's got a suitcase with the roller. You know, look like she just came from a flight. And she walks up to me and she goes, can I have a ride? And I was like, a ride? You know, I mean, these days people are so afraid of strangers, right? And I was afraid of her. And I'm wondering why she wasn't afraid of me. I mean, you don't know what I am or, you know, I could be a wacko, you know. So it's really odd. And I go, well, where are you going? Because I'm going towards San Mateo. And she goes, uh, Cupertino. And I'm in San Jose. I go, okay. She goes, yeah, I'm looking to get a ride to my hotel. And I was like, oh, this is kind of strange. You know, so I said, uh, what hotel? She goes, well, I'm not quite sure. I think it's Vagabond or it's Best Western. She goes, let me Google it. And I'm going, oh, this is really getting strange. And, but I committed. I had my trunk open. I said, okay, I'll take you. So uh, she got on the phone, she called Best Western, and that's where she was going. She, yeah, we put the address in my nav, we went there, and she's talking to me, and I said, well, where did you just fly from? You know, where'd you come from? She goes, well, I came from Mission Viejo, Orange County. I went, oh, cool, I used to live in Orange County. And I said, what, what flight did you come in on? She goes, well, I've been here a couple days. And I was like, airport? You know, and she looked, you know, very respectable, looked like, you know, she, she, um, had taken shower and clothes look good and everything and going, oh, this is really strange. So she's in my car and as I'm driving to this hotel, I'm thinking, oh man, she's got a gun. She's going to jack me, you know? And I was like, I'm holding on tight to the steering wheel and I'm thinking, okay, this is what I'm going to do if she pulls that gun, you know? And so um, now I'm nervous. I'm really nervous. And she's just talking and everything's cool. And so we get to the hotel. I'm like, oh, thank goodness. All right, let's get her out of the car. And then she says, um, oh, I'm going to check in. I have cash. I don't have a credit card. Um, and I have a temporary license. Can I use your license? Can we use your... And I'm like, oh, no. you know." And then I was going to say no. And then just for some reason, you know, I remembered the, the sermon that Sh- Shannon had done a couple of weeks ago about love your neighbor. And I was thinking, all right, my neighbor's great. You know, I... I'm friendly to all my neighbors, but this is not my neighbor down the street. So I said, all right, I'll do it. So we went in to the front desk, you know, and she had hundreds. So she paid for the hotel room, I guess a couple days in advance. And I gave him my license and I'm going, well, this is really smart, you know, because I'm just expecting to get all kinds of weird financial stuff now, you know, with, you know, where they're, they're tapping into your accounts and all that. And, and so she was, Signing, she's doing the paperwork, and we kind of acted like we were a couple. And I'm going, this is really weird. And then finally I said, okay, that's it. Um, and I said, I got to get out of here. So I said, hey, hon, i I'm going to go get some groceries real quick and come back. And she looked at me, and she's like, okay. And I was like, I got out to that car as quick as I possibly could. I got in the car, you know, and I started driving away. And she said goodbye. And I was driving away, and there was no weirdness. I mean, it wasn't like she was up to anything, you know, it was just, 
I can't explain it. So, and I, of course, couldn't tell my wife about it because, you know. Too late. I mean, I tell, I tell Carol. Too late. She knows now. Yeah, she, she knows. You know, well, and then I go, I got to tell somebody. So I saw Shannon, you know, at, at, at church that Sunday. And I said, Shannon, I got to tell you the story. And I still, I trying to figure out what happened there, you know. And I even told Shannon, and Shannon goes, yeah, that's weird. You know, but, but the cool thing about it is I think it's all about, you know, loving your neighbor and about listening to that because I was thinking to myself, I remember you talked about the homeless person that you almost stepped over on the sidewalk and, you know, we we all do that, you know, and and because of that, I reached out a little bit and there was absolutely no, there was no problems. I took a huge chance and so did she, you know, but it was one of those for, as I was driving away, I was like, this is good. You know, so anyway, I want to thank Shannon for that sermon and made me feel good as, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good Samaritan activity. It makes up for all the bad stuff I do. So anyway, thank you, Shannon. Thanks for sharing. That was good. So kind of, kind of weird story in some ways, but how many of us, like there's Uber, there are taxis, in retrospect, you got the $100 bill. It, maybe it wasn't so much about her need, but about what God's doing in Carrie's life, right? What God's doing in Carrie's heart. A new sensitivity to the way of Jesus, the call of God, the movement and motion of the Holy Spirit. I'm not, uh, by having Carrie share that story, not recommending that necessarily you take those kind of risks. But on the other hand, let's move into places where we're vulnerable where we're open, where we're sensitive, where we're attentive, and following the Lord as the Spirit leads. Yes? Joe Mo spoke last week about how the Holy Spirit, through the book of Acts, was leading people, prompting people. We see that all, you go back to Jesus, going all the way back to the beginning of his ministry. How did he get to the wilderness for the temptation slash testing? He was led by the Holy Spirit. May we be people who are led by God's Spirit and led in ways that we get to exhibit his fruit, the chief or first one of which was love. May this be so. Let's pray. God, help us to be open to your Spirit. And more than that, fill us with your Spirit. Help us to be receptive ready, waiting for whatever gifts and any gifts and all gifts that you would pour out on us, on this congregation, on your people across the face of the earth. Do what brings you glory. Bring about your kingdom. Come, Holy Spirit, and exhibit and work your love through your people. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.